Hey, good afternoon, good morning, uh, good evening. Maybe you're listening to this uh, on your way home from work, but welcome to the International Code Council, ICC Region 1 and Region 1 Radio Show. My name is Tim Spears. I am the fire marshal for um, San Joaquin South, or South San Joaquin County Fire Authority, but also the treasurer for Region 1 and the host of Region 1 Radio. Region 1 was established in 2014, and we're made up of three states, California, Hawaii, and Nevada. That includes 32 ICC chapters. We're dedicated to excellence in education and engagement to promote a safer environment by bringing code professionals together. These videos and podcasts are a, were a series designed to highlight individuals and chapters that make up the region and share their experiences. Today, I'm excited because I have joining me Chief Michael O'Brien, Fire Chief with the Brighton Area Fire Authority in Brighton, Michigan. Chief O'Brien is also the chair of the ICC Fire Code Action Committee and the International Director of Fire and Life Safety Section for the International Fire Chiefs Association. And he is a candidate for the second uh, vice president with the International Association of Fire Chiefs. Uh, Chief O'Brien was also the recent recipient of the Robert W. Gain Fire Chief, or sorry, Robert W. Gain Fire Prevention Leadership Award. This award is presented annually to recognize those with career achievement by an individual who has demonstrated exceptional leadership and long-standing dedication and support in fire codes and fire prevention. Chief O'Brien, welcome, and welcome to Region Radio. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's uh, pretty cool to connect with you. A, I got to upgrade my mic game like you. And for those <laughs> in podcast land, we got a we got matching blue shirts on today, so it's good for our YouTube fans to see. <laughs> yeah, it. You know, it, we we're, we're wearing team colors today. Um, so if you're watching this now, we can, you can actually watch this video on Spotify as well. So um, we actually are we're kind of like the the Joe Rogan of uh, building and fire code podcasting now. Um, so you can watch this. Uh, I I don't have any ads to sponsor, but so you're just going to get us for the next you know for foreseeable future. Effort, That's everybody. right. So just yep. FYI, um, how are things in Michigan today? You know, it's beautiful. Uh, we had uh, seasonably warm uh, weather yesterday. We've had high winds on and off what seems like for two weeks. And um, but we're back into Michigan weather 30. I think I think it's time for some snow. We don't get I'm not in the big snow belt where I'm at. I'm outside Detroit, but uh, it's time for snow. Let's cover up the ground. I'm tired of looking at leaves. I was going to say, it's probably pretty brown. I grew up in the Midwest, just outside of Omaha. And this time of year, it's like you're just waiting for the snow because everything is all dormant, right? The yeah. leaves are gone off the trees. Grass is dormant. You got to cover it up because it just makes it look nicer. That's right. Get the snow on the ground and kids can go play skiing, all that winter stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have a big ski uh, skiing area in Michigan? I would imagine so, right? You've got some probably some decent hills and things yeah, like it, that. There's a difference in our skiing here in Michigan. So outside Detroit, we have these little snow hills. They, we have Mount Brighton, which is not a mountain. It's uh, some <laughs> overfilled dirt from the freeway. And uh, so Mount Brighton got uh, picked up by Vail maybe six, seven years ago to help kind of feed the big Vail. And they've improved the snow conditions. A lot of snowboarding, a lot of, I mean, it's mm. 10 seconds down and three minutes up type stuff. But when you get up north, uh, Traverse City, Petoskey, they got some beautiful areas up there. It's still not like the big mountains, but uh, it's fun to get outside in the winter. A lot of uh, cross-country skiing takes mm. place. We have a lot of park space here. So we do see a lot of that. And, um, you know, that you're actually starting to see more snowshoeing and stuff like that too. 
Yeah. I mean, you, oh, and I forgot to mention, uh, Chief O'Brien is also the owner of Kensington Valley CrossFit. So, um, very avid and, and uh, very physically fit fire chief. Uh, and so, uh, so snowshoeing and probably, I, I don't know, have you done a lot of snowshoeing up in the uh, backwoods up there? No, only a couple of times. I still brave myself outside to go do some running in the slush and snow. Oof. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we don't do much at the gym this time of year because you just track too much inside, but mm -hmm. lots of rowing and skiing and all yeah. those fun things. I'll be honest. I, I, so I do a lot in my garage and I, I'm kind of a wimp. So when it turns about 40 degrees, I, I don't have a heater out there and it's a detached garage. So I'm out there, you know, five 30 in the morning and, and trying to work out. And so if it's too cold, I'll get on the Peloton and I'll write that a bit. Um, it, you know, it, Hey, at least fitness is still achieved at that point, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the key. Yeah. Question. Do you have a heater in your, um, in your CrossFit box? Because oh, uh, I know yeah. we don't out here. It's it's cold. Okay. No, we yeah. are. So we have about, um, uh, we're just over 6,000 square feet. Uh, there are ice heaters and uh, our air conditioning usually is open the garage doors to let the yeah. air in. You know, a couple of the days it was a little unbearable. You know, during some of the COVID restrictions, we were outside working out on blacktop, which mm -hmm. was not a lot of fun. But, um, right. you know, overall, we keep it about 60 degrees, which when you walk in, it's cold, right? Right. In the, in the barbells, the, the pull-up rig has a little bit of a chill. But, you know, over time as you kind of um, – it doesn't take more than about five minutes mm -hmm. of a warm-up and you're <laughs> getting rid of layers. Yep. Yeah. I always make it my goal whenever I teach a class is to try to help people start to shed their layers a bit. Um, as long as they're starting to sweat and shed their layers, then I know I'm doing my job as a coach. So that's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. And hopefully nobody left us during our little caveat on to CrossFit um, because, well, that's a, that's a passion I'm sure of both of ours and, and fitness as well. But can you describe the the fire authority, the demographics, and the region that you serve? Sure. Yeah, Brighton Area Fire Authority was uh, the combination of two departments um, in the late '90s that um, merged together for fire services. So we're kind of an independent authority. I know in California, you guys have quite a few. We were one of the first here mm -hmm. in Michigan um, at that point in time. So we cover uh, two townships in a city about seventy four square miles. We are suburbia. Two Home Depots, two Lowe's, um, your typical big box, not much over four stories right now. Um, at some point, uh, Brighton was that area that was the fastest growing in the state of Michigan. We've traded with some other cities here and there just as some of our uh, graphic or demographic is filling up. Um, you know, the, the interesting part is I think we have about seven water authorities. So water isn't wow. a big issue, but where we're mm -hmm. at. Uh, we're just outside of the Detroit waterway system. So uh, it actually is in the town to our east. And so Detroit water comes out of the Detroit River, which is if, for people who aren't familiar with the Great Lakes, right? Uh, a lot of fresh water comes that way. So one of our biggest challenges is always water and, and how we get fire protection. Um, so we're pretty rural, suburban. I would put us uh, for the most part. Uh, five stations. I think we're dealing with uh, a lot that most people are. Um, so we're increasing our uh, on uh, full-time staffing, on-duty staffing on a regular basis. We just completed in the fall uh, renovation about $4 million on one of our fire stations and then 
we broke ground about a month ago on a replacement station um, and really needed – most of our stations were made for paid on call, right? There was okay. room for fire trucks and then like two bathrooms and a kitchenette. And it's mm-hmm. not really for on-duty quarters. So um, we do – we run about two academies a year. So we have kind of pioneered out here what's called a high school fire academy. We're in the ninth year. Where if okay. you're a junior or senior in any of our high schools, you can attend our fire academy. And in a perfect world, you go to our fire academy, and then you go to your EMT or senior year. You graduate at 18, firefighter 2, EMT. The only thing left is to go get that magic paramedic. So – Right. Um, we're now housing that, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, we've got uh, we stay relatively busy. Our run volume is about 20, 22% up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, over last year, we're definitely over our 19 numbers, and just it's kind of one of those growing things. Our inspectors and fire marshal um, are staying actually relatively busy with a lot of new construction and renovation. I mean, we're seeing capital improvements like um, it's been a long time since we've seen this much. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, uh, kind of going back to the, that discussion about your uh, fire academy through the high schools, um, have you, you know, as they you know go to paramedic school, are you then bringing you know because we're seeing I don't know here in the, if you're seeing the same thing in the state of state of Michigan, but in California, if you want to become a firefighter, I mean, there, we have so many job openings right now that I, I've never seen this in my career. Normally, I I tested and when I first tested to be on a fire department, I I remember. I, it was for Omaha city or the city of Omaha. And I took a test with like 3000 people and they had like the written test over three days. And, and now it's, I mean, you're still getting a lot of people, but they're, you know, they'll apply, but then they're getting pulled to other direction. You know, they're getting pulled to other departments. And so have you seen, you know, some of those people graduate that Academy and come into your fire department? So we will get quite a few as paid on call. We've got Mm -hmm. um, a couple um, working towards their full-time stuff. We, I think, I think they're over 10 are somewhere in Michigan's fire service employed full-time. Okay. And, and that's really been our goal all along is how do we, I mean, I shouldn't say all along, but a, we wanted more firefighters for our County. And mm-hmm. then number two, how do we just help the fire service as a whole? Because even 10 years ago, we were starting to see this pretty major decline as we went into National Registry Paramedicine, yeah. and mm-hmm. we just can't keep up with the demand. And there is some serious horse trading going on. We're not a statewide pension um, here in the oh. state, so it's very hard for people to laterally move from one department mm-hmm. to another one. Um, but, you know, we also had a lot of changes in retiree benefit structures over the years. So a lot of communities drop their pensions. They drop their uh, firefighter retiree health care, which made things very, very difficult for us to retain yeah. and uh, attract people. Uh, but the competition is fierce for one firefighter paramedic. It, it, we yeah. have departments offering $10,000 signing bonuses. The base pays <laughs> are going up. Uh, uh, one fire department just started a beautiful one that uh, for years two, three, four, right, how you might have a step up. Mm-hmm. They are honoring your time at another department to get you wow. in the door at a higher pay rate. And so um, really good for the labor market, uh, yeah. really bad. As fire chiefs, we're struggling. Um, yeah. Lists are going quick. Um, fire chiefs are almost always looking. They're dropping standards even. And what I mean by that is if you're – so it used to be you better be fire two paramedic. Now they're mm-hmm. willing to drop it and say, hey, look, fire two EMT in a paramedic program, and we'll help supplement 
And yeah. so that's what you're seeing more and more of. But, um, you know, we've, we're on the crux of all of us just trying to figure out how do we make more paramedics? How do we make more firefighters? Cause it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think that we're, we're kind of in that same boat. So we just had a uh, fire cat. Well, actually we've had two over this past year to be able to fill just vacancies, you know, for, through attrition. And, uh, the first academy was for paramedics, but we couldn't get enough paramedics to fill those positions. So then you, you then you have to open it up to, to more individuals and not to say that they weren't qualified, but just to find paramedics, it's just been extremely difficult. I mean, we're, and everybody, yeah, I don't want to say everybody, a lot of fire agencies now are going to that ALS model and you need paramedics to be able yeah. to supply that. Yeah. And, and I think that's our hope, right? In the academy, man, mm -hmm. I got to grab them before they go to construction school, doctor yeah. school, they fall in love with mm -hmm. whatever it is. And we've seen some good success with some really good men and women uh, coming through that program. And there, there's nothing cooler when you see a sub 21 year old getting hired full time somewhere. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yep. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree with you more. Now, one of the things that I've been thinking about, cause I, I know that right now, especially in the uh, fire inspection and building, uh, building inspection industry, we're, we're kind of an aging group, right? And so you're not getting as many new individuals coming into this profession. So I know ICC has established a program where they're, they're working on trying to help people kind of very similar to that program. Um, you know, get, at least get one ICC certification. I think it's the residential, um, uh, residential inspector certification. Certification. I, I, you know, one, and that's kind of one of those things I want to try at my local high school is try to get more folks to, you know, maybe think, maybe pursue a, a career in fire prevention and fire inspection because uh, I, you know, I actually, you know, unfortunately, I will say fortunately, unfortunately, when I began my career, I actually began it as a cop. I worked for the, I, I worked for the Iowa state fire marshal's office for a bit. And I was a cop. I wasn't, I was a fire marshal, but I was not necessarily in the fire service as a fire marshal. And so, um, it, but I've always kind of been through this, you know, profession in that, you know, in that regard. And so, you know, definitely, you know, I have a different perspective than maybe that somebody that's been on a fire engine for many, many years coming into the profession. So, but I'd like to be able to try to train those individuals, try to train them up to be able to fill some of these vacancies. Cause right now I know that when I interview folks to, you know, come into my department, we're, we don't get a lot of applications with a lot of experience. So. Well, and so we see a lot of people wanting, they don't want to leave the magical 24 hour shift. Yeah. Um, and so, especially in the crossovers, we see that. But one of the things I think we're all trying to do is just how do we expose the profession? Mm -hmm. State of Michigan, to get into building inspection, you actually have to swing a hammer for four years full time, oh, wow. or you got to go get your architect engineer. And so, um, just some of the discussion we've had is with some of these building trade schools, too, as well, right? There's certain things I think that we would love our builders to be exposed to. You know, mm -hmm. let's just talk about good smoke alarm placement or how automatic sprinkler systems go in, you know, just some of those things that I think we're all trying to get better built environment. And we hope it gives them an exposure that maybe somewhere down the road, they're like, you know, putting a roof on a house when it's 20 degrees outside is a little rough. <laughs> um, right. And we need people with that experience to come work, especially on the building side, but mm -hmm. even within the fire side, we, in Michigan, we're typically our fire inspectors come from fire prevent, uh, fire operations. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, that's 95%. Once in a while, we'll see some civilians, what we'll call civilians mm -hmm. hired. Um, but I think you're, you're right. I think all of us are just sitting here trying to, how do we open up this really cool profession? 
yeah to more people because it's been it's been a, extremely rewarding for me yeah yeah and i i'll be honest when i uh, i didn't really didn't even know anything more you know about the fire service other than you know putting the wet stuff on the red stuff um not so much about like fire codes you know the fire marshal yeah you know i watched jim carrey's uh you know fire marshal <laughs> bill character on living color but that's really all i really knew about what a fire marshal or fire code enforcement really truly was and that was not a very good indication of what we truly do i mean it's a very you know a very b- good parody of what we do but um and so yeah like you said how do you open it up how do you really introduce more people to the profession and engage and that's kind of one of those areas that i've been trying to figure out more and more i mean social media has its has its uh you know place but i will say that conversations like this and posting them on youtube and hopefully uh, you know they they stumble across it on a, a podcast platform apple podcast google podcast whatever as long as they're finding it and listening maybe you know attract more people especially you know maybe somebody that's in college right now trying to figure out a profession like you just mentioned too you know those that are might be working outside and you know sub-zero temperatures and you know saying hey this has been fun but uh i think i'm going to use this experience to maybe look on the other side the flip side of the coin in a sense i think a lot of times too we just got to ask somebody right hey Mm -hmm. have you ever thought of and right we're (laughs) we're dealing with a good maybe general contractor or a fire protection person and we say hey have, have you ever have you ever thought here's the career path and because mm-hmm. i think in some people's mind it's unattainable right like right we have this magical knowledge base but yeah i, I think that's a great point is just how do we keep that dialogue open for all mm-hmm. of us because the number of building permits are going up here number of everything yeah. you know and so that demand is increasing more and more yeah, and I like you said, number of building permits are going up. We, here in our jurisdiction, I think that building actually increased during the pandemic because we're just over the hill from the Bay Area. So I know that there were some different regulations over there. So I think it attracted more building to our area. And so, it, and it has not slowed down. Um, we're in the, pro- right now, we're actually in the process of building a, I want to say it's a five-story, almost 4 million square foot uh, storage facility for uh, a large e-commerce uh, vendor. And and it's all performance-based design and trying to figure that out and, and just the number of inspections and and all of those things associated with it. And it's uh, it, it's ongoing, right? And we're, we're becoming quite the logistics hub. And so we're building million square foot warehouses. You know, it, it seems like as they finish one, they start another one. And it's we're just, we're ever growing and and there's even plans now to build another 30 million uh, another 30 million square foot of warehousing space um that is at the county level right now so yeah i'm gonna definitely be in desperate need of some more help (laughs) as time goes on so people look at lines and dots and everything else too right yeah 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 um so we all take different paths uh, throughout our profession throughout our career can you provide any or describe any notable experiences that really have shaped your perspective in fire code enforcement? Oh man, that's a good question. So it all started for me. I was a full-time firefighter. I was the third person hired by this uh, fire department. I was paid on call there first and the fire marshal quit and they offered me a small percentage increase to be the fire marshal because I had some knowledge in swinging a hammer and knew how to read prints. <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. We were amongst the building boom in the town. And so I did what most good people should do. I found somebody who was really good at it. And I went and talked to him. 
And mm. so I got some really good guidance by um, the fire marshal in the town next door in what's called the city of Novi at the time. And so it was really a good thing because I learned immensely um, how to be an inspector, what I was supposed I didn't even know what NFPA was short of what they told me in the fire (laughs) Academy. And then my bosses pointed to these 12 black books and said, the answer's in there, go find it. They didn't know. (laughs) Um, So the funny part is Mike, the guy I went and met with is now my deputy chief after he retired out of that town. So everything comes full circle. So that's kind of how it started. Um, I've I've done a lot of consulting um, across the country, predominantly here in Michigan, but all over the place that have allowed me to see some really cool things. And I I always joke, nobody calls you when something's easy. They want Mm -hmm, you to come look at something difficult, which has been fun. But, you know, probably one of the more notable things in my career, I was uh, working for Rich Marinucci in the city of Farmington Hills. And Rich is a past president of the IFC, um, longtime fire chief. Uh, But he had started in prevention and we were doing a lot of training. We did company inspections. So our companies would go out and do inspections and, you know, we were just trying to get through, but what we decided was we weren't the only ones who needed more training for our prevention folks. And how do we take this very complex thing like NFPA inspector one and just teach people the basics, right? So Mm -hmm. we spent hours together just going through, and I hate to go this basic, but you know, what's the intent of a fire inspection in an occupied building, right? Right. Is a, we want to prevent the fire. So right when you walk around, you're looking for things that might be obvious that could Mm -hmm, start mm -hmm. fires, right? So if you have processes, you add to it, right? And we just, we just built from it from there. Okay. Now, if a fire does start, what do we want? Well, we want early detection. Okay. If the building doesn't have detection, then what is the answer? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then we want the sprinklers to work. Are the valves open? Has it been serviced? Right. And I, I have always remembered the work we did during that time because it's so funny how no matter where I'm at, we seem to go back to those basics. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. if there's a fire, we want it to stay small. Well, how do you keep it small? Well, right. if there's no sprinklers, there's no alarms, then we probably have some kind of separations. Okay, so do the yep. doors work? Are they closable? Have they been serviced? Are the walls, are there penetrations, right? And so I think that that's probably one of the most memorable um, parts of, of my career was kind of building that and how we spread it because I hope we made a big difference because a lot of people attended those programs over time. Yeah. You know, I think that's a great idea. You know, like you just said, like, how do we either, you know, one, be able to keep it small? Really, it kind of goes all the way back to the and this I use this example during some training with my staff this week, and they all kind of rolled their eyes when I said it. But it was like, just think about the fire triangle. You know, all you're trying to do is, you you know, you're going to have oxygen, right? It's in the air. You're not going to do anything with it. So how are you going to keep the the stuff that burns away from the the heat source? You got to think that's where you kind of need to boil it down to that. And they're because we were covering like chapters three and four in the fire code. And I said, if you look at chapter three, that's what it's really all about. You, you know, how do you just keep things apart and or or, you know, keep it so that way it doesn't grow very big. And so they, they just kind of like, oh, yeah, we get it. You know, thanks for the reminder. So, well, and, and you bring up chapter four, but you look at this <clears throat> terrible mess that just happened uh, across Kentucky and Illinois out of these yeah. tornadoes. Right. Yep. And one of the things being cited is training of employees mm-hmm. in some of these buildings in the disaster. I mean, um, Oxford, the the shooting is maybe 30 minutes from here. And so I've had so many peers just dealing and in training made such a huge difference in there. And I yeah. think, right, that's, 
that's part of what the fire code is trying to do is that there's certain things we can't prevent and we can try yeah. really, really hard, but natural mm-hmm. disasters being one, we can't prevent it. So what happens when one occurs and even though that's a scope outside, right, there's certain things yeah. as it relates to training and others. And so you think about that, what the employee does is they interact and go through all these. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, it's been interesting really to see the fire code, you know, be be talked about here in, in major news publications right now because of yeah. that. Yeah, you you know, you bring up a good point in the regards to that training piece and, and the fire code really you know, the more and more the fire code grows, I was just joking about this with a friend of mine, you know, we're, we're in, we're in one volume. I think that eventually we're going to see two volumes of this fire code. Um, but it, it hits on so much more than just fire prevention and, or fire related, but it's more of a life safety code too. And I, I think that, you know, I know NFPA kind of has the market on the life safety code, but, um, but I do think that, the, that it, it, it does encompass more than just fire related responses. And I think that, you know, that might be something to take a look at, but training is key. And another good example like this week, and I don't know if you saw this article or saw the video, but it was some exceptional video out of New York where there was a fire in that, like a fifth story apartment. And you see, you see people trying to, they were climbing, I think it was an 18 year old and a 13 year old climbing out the window to try to get a hold of either it was guttering or a gas pipe or whatever. And they're trying to get away from it. And it, I think the fire occurred at 7.15 and, um, it, you know, it's just occupant training too. It's like, where, where do we go? How do we get out of here? And I think, you know, one person died, one's in the burn, you know, burn center. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, was, were there working smoke alarms? Were, you know, what other things were going on in there? I know that the, one of the articles I read said something about electric bikes, but who knows? I mean, there's, there's a lot of other things that could, it could be. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, but training, I, I, I agree with you. Training is key as we take a look at these things. Yeah. How our occupants choose to use the building and live and operate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yep. it's, some of it we think is second nature, but I think we all have some tainted views because we live this stuff. Yeah. Right. So how many times yep. do you go into a hotel that you've never been into? Do you count the doors to get to the next exit? How close right. is it? Does the door yep. actually work? I mean, how often, maybe that's where my fitness ties in. I tend to take the <laughs> stairs more in the three story, right. four story holiday ends or whoever. But, um, yeah, that, that training is, uh, it's something I don't think we can ever forget because people and how do you take it and help them work? Right. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is really important, like when you look at our inspectors and they're doing regular inspections at our restaurants, right? What are probably right. our highest likelihood of, fires are, are in cooking environments in the commercial area, right? Yep, so yep. <clears throat> let's talk about the training of those people. Is there actual training? Is it in a language they understand? And, mm-hmm. you know, as much as they're turning over, what are they supposed to do? And so, right. um, you know, we've got fixed systems, we have special fire mm-hmm. extinguishers, we have, but it all comes back to that employee triggering something yeah. to make them work. And I think that's, I'd, there's times I'd rather see our inspectors spend more time in that environment helping change behaviors, mm-hmm. right, than writing an enforcement for a bad exit sign, right? I'm not saying that the yeah. bad exit yep. sign isn't doesn't need to be fixed, but right, right. There, there are some things that we really want to see move the needle in safety and occupancy. 
Yeah, I, you know, I always tell my inspectors that we're public educators. Um, you know, yeah, we're inspectors by, you know, that's the what's on your shirt, but you're really a public educator and you need to spend the time to, you know, no different than somebody going to a school and doing a presentation, but you, you should be doing a presentation to those folks that you're going out to inspect. And you highlighted something that I, I, I've been on countless fires, countless commercial kitchen fires where they didn't even know where the pole station was, didn't even know what it was, or they'll pull it during a fire drill where it's just a drill and it'll dump the systems, but they have not really had the training to, to know what goes on or it's behind boxes and they don't even know, or the a new cook comes in, he moves everything around and with it being a fixed system. Now the, the, oh man, it's just some, some, but those are the hazards, right? Those are, those are big hazards that, um, that you, one, you just need to spend more time in discussing it and communicating it and having that dialogue with those folks there and training them on that. Yeah, for sure. And in part of you had asked one of the original questions, what's something very memorable to me and, Back when I was a young firefighter, I was doing some consulting at the time. Um, and so I was around fixed systems more than probably most people and most firefighters. And anyways, we have we get dispatched to this fire in an incinerator. If you've ever been to an incinerator, they're ugly, they're big. Mm -hmm. And this fire is run up the chute and they want us to go put it out. So nothing like staring at a six-story building with a fire in an incinerator. I'm a young firefighter. They send us up there and they say, hey, there's hose up there. You're just going to use it. Well, in my head, I'm thinking it's this single jacketed hose with red nozzle. And that fire looks way bigger than you want me to do. Right. And right. Right. So I'm like, you sure we can't take our standpipe? Like, I'm I'm good <laughs> if we do. And, yeah. Um, this is even before there were the wristlets on the coats. And so I had to. The, oh, it yeah. was Such an intense fire. I was sitting there up against this chimney putting this water in, I just remember my wrist being on fire and the, the velocity of air movement coming out of that was almost taking the water that that was and spraying it back. It was the most incredible oh, thing. So, right. We, we give it a solid one and, uh, we go back relay to the boss, the incident commander that, Hey, you got to get, you need a two and a half <laughs> up there. This thing ain't going right. any big water. Yeah. Yep. And, but, but here's the thing. I, I, I don't blame that captain, I, right? How many times do we as prevention folks or in the built environment from a building side, right? We put in an FM 200 system. We put in a carbon dioxide system, what standpipes, mm -hmm. sprinklers, and we never t really work with the responding crews to understand how they work. True. Right. Yeah. We, we, we put in an mm -hmm. FM 200 because they don't want They're water. Like, yeah. And we right. don't tell them that it works in principle too, because the container's closed or uh, you right. know, pick, pick yep. the topic. And so I think mm -hmm. that's been one of my huge passions is how do we take this very complex code mm -hmm. and get it not only to help our citizens and the people that occupy buildings, but our firefighters, because they're the mm -hmm. ones integrating with these systems. And it's yeah. so easy, right? My inspectors are swamped. The crews are swamped. Right. Just to get them there on a walk in or you catch one shift, you don't catch all two, you don't catch your paid on call and whatever it is. Right. I think we spend a lot of energy and that training isn't just for our occupants, but man, our right. firefighters need it as well. Understanding, hey, this is a manual wet standpipe. What's mm -hmm. that mean? Mean. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and what's it, it mean to them? Yeah. 
yeah, it, yeah, like you just said, you know, having that crossover, like you got to build that crossover with the crews just so that way they better understand it, like an FM 200 system, carbon dioxide system, things like that where, hey, you know, don't open the door. I mean, it's designed, it's a fixed system. It's been designed to be able to spread, suppress that fire. And um, it, you, and I think that that is one piece that I, I've tried to build on. I wish I, I need to do better with. Um, and, uh, working with my staff. Cause I, I think it's important to break down that silo between, mm-hmm. you know, both entities, you know, Hey, that's a fire prevention thing. That's a fire suppression thing. And then we never talk about it. And so we've been doing a lot more of, um, you know, and, and really, you know, me sitting in my office, sending a memo is great, but that doesn't really help. I don't, I don't think that that does a lot of good, uh, in the sense of really getting that carry over. Um, and so really trying to break down those silos. So one of the things I try to, you know, build more rapport between my staff and operations, because, you know, as the department grows and you get, uh, you know, hundred, 200 firefighters and you have three inspectors, you try to build that rapport. And I, I worked for the city of Colorado Springs for a bit. And, uh, I ran into a lot of folks really doing fire investigations more so than doing fire inspections, but also trying to communicate some of those fire inspection things. But a lot of times they're out running calls and how do you, how do you, you know, get that crossover is always difficult. I've, I've, I've found, but it, it, it's definitely beneficial. Yeah. Well, uh, you got to make them interested, right? They're good. Hey, we need you to come put some yeah. line on the ground. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. 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 Um, so one of the things I kind of, I really wanted to talk to you about too, is code development. So being the chair of the fire code, uh, ICC fire code action committee, um, you know, and with Pittsburgh, just in our rear view mirror, um, and the public action or the, the public comment hearings, um, I, I know that um, FCAC developed a lot of code proposals and brought them forward and, and uh, you know, being at the code hearing, seeing some of the back and forth. I talked to Kevin McOsker um, a couple weeks ago, and he was mentioning how much he loves the code hearings because you can kind of see the why in the code, right? But as you, as FCAC, as, as a group, I mean, there, there, there are many members to this committee. How do you develop a consensus, be, you know, on those codes that you bring forward to you know introduce to hopefully affect change in the fire code that's a great question um there's no (laughs) doubt you have to make sure you get the right people in the room when you start Mm -hmm. the discussions right there's times we get an idea that comes you know i think the fcac funnels a lot like anybody else right we have members on the committee interested parties that bring ideas forward that maybe aren't well shaped we've got some time Mm -hmm. And so we set aside our work groups and over the years, when we exclude a group or not include a group, even because their opinions might be different, that is where we see an issue going down the road with the success of that code proposal. Mm -hmm. And because quite honestly, it's either going to come up in a work group and we can work to address it, compromise, or we're going to take it to the code floor and the topic's going to come up. And we didn't address it because we we thought we knew the answer. And so, um, you know, consensus amongst the fire code action committee, right? We're intended to take on complex issues mm-hmm. within the ICC code development process within our scope. And and there's some big ones, and there's some very frustrating ones. Um, and so, just continually communicating has been big. Um, trying to, I will say I love remote cause I didn't have to travel in, in many regards, 
but I mm-hmm. miss the conversations where you can read people's body language to see yeah. as committee members, is this sinking in? Are you paying attention? Is there apprehension? Because, you know, code talk can be tough. And mm-hmm. there are some people involved in our process that I think get paid by the word they say, even at an <laughs> FDAC meeting. And right. so sometimes you zone out. And so how do we make sure that it's making sense for us as probably advanced users of the fire code mm-hmm. all the way down to our newest? And so yep. I think that's been the biggest thing is, do we have the right people in the room? Do we understand what we're talking about? Is this addressed anywhere else? And if not, right, like, can we define that? Why can we define what are we doing here? Because sometimes you you get in deep into something and you're like, why are we doing this? And nobody can mm-hmm, answer. Mm-hmm. And we'll just, there's a big pile on the floor somewhere of code changes. We didn't move forward, but you know, I, I go back, there's a lot of people doing really good things. Yeah. And you know, I, I'll give you a good, for instance, um, we have a representative on the fire code action committee from the NAHB and Gary's very involved in the overall code process. And I appreciate the input he gives us. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't always vote in favor. He and he doesn't always like what we're doing. But you know what? He brings high value to the conversation, and there are things he brings up that we've got to address. We got to look into. Got to discuss. But you know that's part of the ICC process, right? We have a diverse committee. We have fire yeah. fire code officials. We have um, building side. We have engineers. We mm-hmm. have interested parties, maybe from the alarm industry, the sprinkler industry, right. the fixed industry, right? So right. Yep. It, it's that focus. But if I'm telling you, every time we started to do something in a vacuum, if we thought we had it right, I guarantee you we're submitting a public comment because we didn't have it right. Well, and you, you bring up a good point, a lot of perspective, right? Depending on who, you know, what entity that you're representing and what perspective that you have on that given issue. And, and even that was kind of what, when I was talking to Kevin, he said, you know, look, you think that you have the best thought out code proposal and you're going to take it forward. And then somebody, you know, comes to the mic and says, but wait. What, what about this? And then it just totally destroys everything else. And, and I won't say it whole, it wholly falls apart, but it does, you know, you have to take a step back and think about it again. And, and perspective is key. And I, I, you know, I think that committees like the fire code action committee is, um, you know, valuable. And like you mentioned, things get left on the cutting room floor. Like people come with ideas, but then at the end, you're like, Hey, this is not workable. Or even if it is a workable idea, how do you get there? How do you get from the, the idea, the, the concept to the code? And sometimes it, it takes a little bit more e- extra effort as time goes on. One time um, I was on vacation when the submittals were due and I think I was in the California time zone and I'm communicating with Kevin because the close was at midnight <laughs> California time. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I almost, so uh, I almost missed a, the deadline here. I always get, I, I got a, a message as uh, I was working with Robert Marshall on one. And he, he's like, Hey, have you submitted that yet? And I was like, what do you mean? I, I have until like midnight tonight. And he's like, 
that no you have till seven o'clock because of this time zone and i'm like uh okay uh i'll do it right now because it was like 658 or something like that yep. I, i've almost missed it but and he was panicked he's like look we've worked really hard on this you need to get this in <laughs> so been there yeah. Uh, yeah yeah but um so you, we talked about the code change process. I think you highlighted something really good. It, you know, there, it, it, the dynamic of what we've kind of um, ran into with COVID, right? And all, virtual meetings and virtual platforms to be able to, um, you know, at least connect with more people. Like you and I, you're sitting in Michigan, I'm sitting in California and being able to connect uh, across the country is really cool. But also too, then you miss some of those, uh, you know, nonverbal cues that you're, you're not going to be able to see maybe for people that are sitting up on the committee, um, and uh, and also, too, as we talk about going to like, you know, being in person and being able to talk in the back of the room and have conversations about code perspectives and, you know, as things get presented, um, I think that, you know, virtual meetings and virtual platforms are great. But then we kind of miss some of the, like what you were saying, some of those other things that um, also are very valuable to the overall code development process. So I, I'm so glad we were back in person in Pittsburgh because. Yeah. You know, I remember my first code hearing, and if you think back, you you look at this room. The committee is this man. They're pulling stuff out, and the the train of people that are going up to the microphone, mm -hmm. and and they they have such well thought out things. I'm like, how? I thought I was a smart guy, and I how did I miss that? How did I see it? But more importantly, I, when we're in person, you can help support like. We had talked early in this conversation about how we need to bring people up. That's a c continual conversation in the code development process. I'm I'm young and I've been in in codes now in code development. I think 2003 was my first hearing, so I'm coming up to 20 years. Oh wow! And it was really because somebody said you got to go get involved in this, and I, I just showed up. And then luckily, mm -hmm. when I was in the room, somebody pointed me with with what to do because I I didn't know. Right. And, you know, it, you just look at the layers and the complexity in the process. And I think that's where it's nice to be in the room. We wear our colors. You know, mm -hmm. you can go over to somebody and say, hey, you got a minute because I'm lost. And you hope yeah. somebody, nobody will ever say that. They don't want to get up. But <laughs> even when I no, drag yeah. people from the state or, or the fire service, I say, hey, you got to get to these hearings. At least if I can get you to sit by us, you can be in the conversation. We can mm -hmm. help guide you, help work a proposal with you. Because I think that's probably the whole other level that I love is, um, you know, we've been doing some work on on 104 in the fire code right now for Group B. Um, we're working on some information sharing on the code changes we did on A2Ls or um, energy storage systems, mm -hmm. distilleries, marijuana's coming up a lot. But yeah. anyways, we're doing a lot yep. to hopefully educate the fire service. But what we're trying to do is get newer fire marshals, fire inspectors, building officials in. So at least they're part of the discussion and they can start to hear this thing that we keep talking about called intent, right? Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. I, you know, when you start as, a, start as a fire inspector, you sometimes think that code book's black and white, right? It's, yeah. It yeah. says this. And I mm -hmm. get it when it says a handrail height. Right. But when we're talking storage and complexity of fire lane issues and where we get our water from or any of those things, there's there's a lot of gray space in a fire code. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't ever gone to a code hearing, you won't truly understand that. Now right. I get it. Now I see where there's yep. some of this gray. 
Yeah, well, and we always talk about the gray, and and the code hearings really give you the why, right? Why did somebody come forward with a proposal? What is the situation that they're trying to address? And I, you know, I, I reflected back on some conversations I've had with some folks, and and one of the things now that things have gone virtual, like our ICC code books are all now ver- you can get them through the premium access, right? One of the things that I would like to see, and I don't know if it'll ever happen or ever could happen, but is putting the public comment hearing dialogue to a code proposal that gets introduced into the code. So you can go back and you can kind of, it, it gives you a little bit of a commentary in a sense, because uh, I love the code and commentary, but being able to watch those videos and have that dialogue, because I think that they record all those videos. It'd be cool to see that, you know, that merge together, the code development process with the code code book in the sense of being able to see that. And I don't know uh, if, I don't know if uh, Pfeiffer's listening to this, but uh, maybe I can, <laughs> I can throw it out there. <laughs> you know, so. I just, I taught an old fire marshal that trick that how to find this stuff. Uh huh. And he just called me. I'm so glad you said this because he just called me like last week and said, so I was watching this film of Baltimore <laughs> where they're talking about. I'm like, wow, nice job. Man. Nice yeah. job. Dove in head first. Like, yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, and there's only probably a handful of us that would probably really get a lot of enjoyment out that out of that. But, um, but it, that that's amazing though that he actually went back and found some you know old video from Baltimore to be able to pull right. that up and and yeah. review it and and uh, but yeah, hopefully we can. You know, everything's digital now, right? It should be easy. And I say easy. I mean, uh, I can barely. I can operate my laptop. I can do a couple. I can I can run Facebook, but that's really primarily about it. Even though I got this big microphone, I. I think I, I YouTubed it. So, <laughs> um, so we talked about the code development process, and one of the things that you know, right now we have a three-year cycle um, to be able to get things into the code, and and but we're starting. And you talked a little bit about the intent, the you know, identifying what that intent is, and we we know that the code isn't always black and white. There's a lot of gray, and it, it also gives us the minimum performance requirements as it relates back to fire and life safety. But we're seeing so many things that get introduced to the code now that um, that the code hasn't really addressed um, or has kind of they, they've addressed it, but maybe not on the scale. Amazon warehouses are a good example of some of the, you know those automated uh, you know storage systems. So, what's your thoughts on like I, I don't want to say shorting shortening the code cycle, but maybe maybe deviating it from you know to a and maybe shortening is probably what I'm looking at uh, to to maybe address these things. Okay. I think the concern that I would have is that you don't really get to vet a lot of these things before they um, would be introduced to the code, so you may not get some well thought out things being introduced and eventually adopted. Well, I, I watch the challenges that probably our code officials are going to have with uh, electrical vehicle charging probably in the next four years, three years. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think about the amount of stored energy potential that could be in a four-story parking deck now. Yep. Um, and, you know, we've just started to have those discussions, I think, within the ICC process. Um, I, You know, I wish we were more agile. I don't know how you have, there's times I'm okay with how long the process takes. Cause I think mm-hmm. it forces us to be more meticulous. Mm-hmm. I think it forces us to propose better changes knowing we've got this shot. And if we don't, there, it's hard to get back. Um, you know, I know that the ICC and their long-term co-development committee has been, been working and I'm sure um, there's going to be some changes coming down the road. 
um, in the ICC process in how they structure their Group A, Group B. I think you're going to see changes, and I'm hoping that those changes allow us some better flexibility because um, Michigan, we're still in the 2015 IBC. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So that means we're using the 2013, 72, and NFPA 13. Mm-hmm. As, an, as, a, as a code user, I'm dipping into all of them, and, and I, I know what we've added. But I have this call all the time, right? Our code doesn't address this. Well, right. use the, trust me, grab the 2021. It's in there. You want to use the 2021 language on mm-hmm. this. Well, yeah. how do I do that? And so, you know, it, I'll give we're dealing out, Metro Detroit is booming in batteries right now, right? Yeah. And it's really not till the 2024 that we have maybe started to scratch the surface mm-hmm. in, in battery storage and in battery production facilities and we're just scratching the surface right uh, specifically for for lithium ion or any of the lithium style batteries and it's it's been very interesting because i think we all want safe environments and i think the roadmap is there in the 2024 code well Mm -hmm. if you're not a strong hj and you start to get pushback from the design professional in fact, one just happened the other day. They said, well, that's not code. We're not going to follow it. I'm like, this is about safety of your occupants. This right. is what the national standard is going to. Mm-hmm. The yep. code is very qu- – the 2015 fire code did not have the purview <laughs> of batteries. Even, no. Didn't no. even probably forecast it, right? Because all this stuff is uh, like Tesla wall systems and, the, and those types of things. Like. Uh, those things have just like I put solar on my house and I have a backup battery. I, I'm imagining the 2015 thought about solar, but maybe not the backup battery capacity. Not not to what we've learned now. I mean, right. what have yeah. we what have we learned now? Just in 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 the off gassing and the uh, when we put things in containers and what happens. And I think um, I, that's where I really see. I wish we were agile. But I think mm-hmm. in many ways we have a – this is why we need a lot of people involved in codes because that perspective, right? Mm-hmm. There was major frustration when we put extraction in the fire code because people yeah. thought it was a Colorado, Washington, Oregon thing. Mm-hmm. And look at how many states now have adopted some form of recreational drug use yeah. in which it's now affecting this with major operations. And so I think, you know, I think there's times, right, that, that that's why we need the perspective of so many. We need good quality codes to be submitted. We need those ideas. You know, mm-hmm. if people have an idea, but they're like, I don't know how to work this system, man, look up the fire code action committee list, talk to somebody and say, hey, how do we start working? Because Right, our next chance to work on a fire code is the 2027 edition. Oh. Think about that. Holy right? smokes! Yeah, and it's all we're, we're we're approaching 2022, and like you just mentioned, we're just scratching the surface on batteries. And and I even heard this. What was it? I think on Wednesday they've even tried to. There's even new new technology coming out. Like, and they think in 18 months there will be a new battery technology that's coming out with yeah. that's a, a. They're not going to use lithium paste, but they're going to use you know something. Solid. It's still a lithium. Yeah, solid yeah. lithium. And so, okay, well, let's see. They say it's safer, but who knows? I mean, and if we're only scratching the surface, then those things won't get changed till 2027, but they're going to be, they'll be using them, right? So how do we address well, that? Well, and you think, let's go back to that, like, initial discussion we had, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have an emerging technology, and let's just take batteries off the table. I don't care what it is. Go yeah. back to those basic principles of what our codes are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Limit an event from starting. 
that's step one, right? And then if one yep. does, how do we keep it small, you know, right. and how do we get our occupants out, right? Whether that's detection, alerting, fire protection, separation, right? It goes back. We're going to be challenged as code officials continually with emerging technology. The rate mm -hmm. at which technology is emerging in the United States right now is unheard of. Yeah. And it's going to continue. And I think that's the part that us as code officials, the code doesn't necessarily say no to technology. Right. But what it does say is, hey, look, there's these core principles. There's this intent of the code and the scope of the code. And we need to make sure that people are staying safe in the built environment. Yeah. And you, you, I like where you, you, you talked about making sure that things stay, that at least the code development process is a little bit more agile um, because it does need to be. Uh, I kind of I heard somebody give an example of how technology is increasing exponentially. I mean, we're just seeing it, you know, every, every month we see some something new anywhere from even robots. Right. Boston mm -hmm. Dynamics and some of the technology that they're doing. Um, but, you know, you compare that with like maybe the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution took, you know, decades. Um, for different machines to come online to be able to help us build those processes. We don't necessarily have that that amount of time anymore, right? It, things are just coming at us such a, a fast pace that we have to, you know, understand it. And I, I like what you were saying about making sure just going back to the core principles of what we do in, you know, fire and life safety inspections and taking a look at that and how do we, you know, making sure that that's really our underlying foundation, building that good foundation and working from that. Yeah. So, um, so we kind of talked about that. So in this, you know, era of, uh, you know, code development and, you know, the processes that we're seeing, but, um, we, we've also had to be very responsive, um, uh, to this pandemic, right? There, there's been a lot of things anywhere from virtual inspections to, to plan reviews, you know, digital plan reviews that we've seen. What are some of those changes that, that you got your departments implemented in response to the pandemic? And what are some of those things that you think that we may see long-term as we continue, you know, down this path? I love electronic plan review. If uh, you follow me on Twitter, I posted a picture <laughs> of me doing a plan review on an iPad. And oh. um, I can do most of my plan reviews. I use a program called PDF Expert. It's got a measuring tool yeah. like cloud. I can, everybody has their favorite. And mm -hmm. um, I, I just find the usability quite solid. Now, um, not everybody's bought into electronic plan review. Uh, but I can tell you more and more construction sites, more and more places, right? That iPad or tablet in somebody's hand. Specifically, I love watching these big macho construction guys with tablets building right. masonry walls yeah. and trying to see where openings are. Um, so there's no doubt that I think some advanced flexibility in certain mm -hmm. things I think we're seeing in the profession. Um, I, I thought, you know, I think one of the things that we're challenged with where did we ever get to the 180 days of a temporary structure? And, yeah. um, you know, we, our, our crews had to go out and reissue some temporary permits for temporary structures because the temporary tents are still up. And, right. you know, they started in over a year ago. And so I think, I hope, right, that we found better ways to communicate, to have meetings virtually for mm -hmm. flexibility, right? And, um, there's also this, Hey, I'm stuck. Can we do a virtual inspection real quick, even though it might not be the best, but, um, right. no doubt. I think that digitalized, it forced the hand of many of us to finally get 
in a much faster environment. Mm-hmm. So, right, faster plan reviews is a big thing, right? And right. Yeah. mailing and FedEx and all those things yeah. of big tubes of drawings mm-hmm. gone because we can now highlight something, say, fix this, have that tenacity in that plan review, yeah. send it back to me so I can see it, and we're good. But yeah. I, that, that's probably, um, in some ways, um, I thought we were, I, our, our crews did awesome. Our inspectors did fantastic, but, you know, we really haven't stuck much with electronic inspections. They're back mm-hmm. in the field full bore, but the digital right. plan review and all those are definitely things we did in like six months. We were talking like it was going to take us years to do. Yeah, you know, definitely there was uh, <laughs> it, it thrust a lot of us. I, we, we were doing electronic plan review and we we're still accepting paper plans, but Come, I think I want to say it was March 17th, the 20, was it 2020, 2019? I can't remember anymore. It seems like it's been a while. Um, but we virtually closed our doors and said, all right, everything, email things to this email address and uh, we'll go from there. Cause they had CAD files and we could start looking at it from there. Um, I, one of the things that I'd like to kind of help with my inspection staff is being able to get those plans, <laughs> those digital plans, cause there's gotta be a way and getting them to their, to their iPads. We've been having struggles with that, trying to figure out the best, um, you know, data sharing methods, uh, because of, there are such big files. And so how do you, how do you best accommodate that? And, and hopefully we can get there. Hopefully it, it the the transition goes a little bit more smoothly so um one of the things that so uh, i i took i took your course on uh at the cfpi it's the california fire prevention institute and i wanted to talk to you a little bit about training um because i know that you're also going to be teaching another class uh it's part two right uh, of the uh, of that course and uh, i know that uh, a lot of my uh you know california friends have have gleaned a lot of information you helped me anywhere from uh, having one-on-ones with my staff um, and identifying the importance of that. And I will tell you that that's really helped me develop a, a, a much bigger and greater rapport with all my direct reports, people that, and, and I feel like I have a better pulse on the organization. I feel like I, I know that if somebody asks me a question, I, I, I have a better answer. And then also, uh, I've also improved my note-taking a bit. Uh, so um, I, I will say that that was, I was trying, I was trying to do it in a written journal and I said, you know, I, I don't think written is quite the answer because I remember I, I had called somebody and, and documented the conversation. I wrote it down. Then I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it in my journal. And I flipped through that thing for like at least 45 minutes trying to find the, the conversation. And now I, I just, you know, it, it's on my iPad. I can search it and boom, there it is. And say, Hey, yeah, we talked about it on this day and this is the outcome. And, and so we talk about that. And so, you know, and I, I think that that class immensely helped me, but I know other people as well. So as we're looking at new and existing code, code officials, what recommendations do you have in, in the, and, and I know this is kind of a very broad question as I'm, as I'm looking at how I wrote it, uh, but necessary leadership skills to engage and motivate your staff. Um, to be able to, because we're all experiencing the stress as, as it relates back to COVID, right? And the continued pandemic. And we talk about mental health. And I think that that's one of those things that gets, uh, yeah, I want to say, you know, at least what I've seen in a lot of organizations doesn't really get recognized as the mental health of our code professionals as well. And so then how do we address that? How do we keep them engaged and really continue to try to motivate them? You know, I'd like to think that everybody's 100% happy and ready for the holiday season. And what I've right. noticed is people are just as stressed right now as 
like usually now it's a downtime for people and mm-hmm. it's not, but you know, I think having some compassion and realizing our humans work for us and they're challenged, right? They, they're challenged at home. They're challenged with a spouse. Um, we'd like to think we give everybody great working conditions, but, um, many times there isn't that avenue to find that out, but let's just take the stress outside of work away. But one of the things I think that you're talking about is, you know, as leaders, one of our job is to keep people motivated in, mm-hmm. in motivation. Everybody has these phrases, right? But yeah. when I'm looking at new leaders, when I'm looking at new inspectors, um, I think it's so easy for them to get buried. This thing's hard, mm-hmm. right? Like give a code book to a new fire inspector and say, tell me where the code says I can put a knox box in and right. see how long they can answer that question. Cause mm-hmm. I just like completely screwed with them. Cause I referred to a vendor name versus what's in the code right. and they're going to flip and they're going to turn. Not find Knox. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I think so much is just how do we give them that support and give them that direction? Cause we want them to be successful, mm-hmm. right? A new, a new fire code official coming to meet with maybe me or something. I'll say, Hey, look, I want to see you come in with your thought process, but you don't have to have it answered, you know, and, and that's, and then I'll help you walk through the code. Right. And by the mm-hmm. time, you know, a year or two or three goes on, I want to hear it way different than what I yeah. do on the first. I want to see how they got there. So, um, you know, I think for our new bosses specifically that are overseeing, have that compassion, but you gotta, you gotta set aside time, even with inspectors to sit there and talk to them about, about what's going on in their life, how mm-hmm. they're enjoying their job, what they're frustrated with, and where, what your role is to support them. And just even asking them, hey, how can I help? Yeah. And then there's times you got to challenge them, right? Let's take somebody who's yep. been doing fire inspection for two, three years. They got their basic training done. They're rocking and rolling. Okay, well, now how do I make them prepared? Are they out at our um, state fire inspector meetings or local meetings? Right. Have they talked to the fire marshal next door? Are they finding opportunities to go have lunch or coffee or are they just too busy um does their computer do what their computer needs them to do and i think just Mm -hmm. having that open dialogue and conversation you know as a leader i think so many times it's like well i i I don't want to micromanage them i I want to let them do their job and and i'm not saying you need to micromanage but employees when they know that they've got to come to you and tell you that hey this is where this project is or this is the things i'm struggling with on this project um it's just going to help us relieve some of that stress, some of those preventable things. Um, and I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell every code official, you got to work out like this yeah. job is stupid <laughs> stress. Yeah. Yep. Like nothing like you think a project's going well and, and you took an extra day in a plan review and they called the mayor's office and then the mayor's office is calling you because, yep. you know, whatever. And it, it's just unneeded stress sometimes. And there's yep. a lot, right? You ever... You ever miss something on a $10 million bill and it costs somebody uh, some yeah. money? That's a hard, right? How do you stay yep. true yep. and still get things done? And so I think there's times that we as leaders have to just keep having that conversation with our peers, with our neighbors, with our fire mm-hmm. inspectors, with our building officials and saying, hey, look, all right, what's your concerns on this building? What's your concerns on this process? Let's talk through this. And are we covered? Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, that stress, I mean, if you ever miss anything and then you have to go back and, and address that stress and then, or address that topic. And then that causes additional stress and, you know, policymakers get involved. I mean, it, and so I will say, as you mentioned, working out, that is a good stress relief. I, I think that so many people don't realize how important it truly is. Um, you know, meditation, I also try to meditate, um, quite a bit. Uh, I'm, I, I'm on again, off again with the practice. I wish I would stay because uh, I feel more. I, I do feel a little bit more grounded when I meditate a little bit more frequently. You know, there's different apps from the Calm app to Headspace and all those things. But, um, but as you talked about, you know, engaging your staff and having those conversations. Um, and and you know, some staff may not want to share what's going on in their lives, but I will say that it, it has helped me as a, as their supervisor to have these conversations. I've learned more about them and what's going on in their lives and some of the stresses that, that they have just outside the organization and, you know, and offering, you know, if there's employment assistance programs that I can help offer them, you know, to be able to address some of those things that, you know, I think that that's kind of, you know, being empathetic, being compassionate and, and, um, you know, and that doesn't just go for the people that we, you know, that we go out and inspect, but also our staff and understanding that as well. Um, I think that that is key. So, yeah, just keep talking or listening. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you know, listening to their frustrations. And I think you mentioned in that training, you you give them, you have 30 minute windows and first 10 minutes is for them. The next 10 minutes is for you. And then at the end you, you know, come together and, uh, you know, see what, what we can do to help. So absolutely. I mean, it's been amazing. Like some people are like my, my computer's not working and right. So they're stressed. They're, and you're like, mm -hmm. dude, you've had a computer for four years. I can solve that one. That one's easy. <laughs> right. Like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish it was always that easy, though, right? Uh, sometimes they, they they aren't always that easy. I wish I, you know, that Staples commercial where you can hit that easy button. It, it's not always that easy, unfortunately. But yeah. Um. So as we kind of come, come I, I really appreciate it. you've taken well over an hour and uh, of your time. And I, I want to ask you one more question as we start to come to a close. But uh, and it's maybe a, it's a kind of a big, big topic or a big conversation, but what, as, as a fire code official, what do you think our most important, most important role is, um, to be able to help facilitate change within our communities, within our departments and, and those types of things? Uh, um, you know, I think when you think of the design building process, let's just start there. Let's, we got buildings mm -hmm. coming in. I want, our people to be so approachable that the designers are coming to our staff before they hit the planners up. Yeah. And the planners hate when I say that. <laughs> um, but if we can get our fire hydrants in the ground and the, yeah. the access doors that we need and the pavement we need before they start drawing trees and counting oh, trees, yeah. we're way better. Yep. Um, but you got to build those relationships up. One of the hardest parts is a fire authority is we're a third leg to, I, we have three planners, we have mm -hmm. three code of, right? Every single one of our communities has, yeah. communities has somebody different. And so that pressure is there on me as the fire chief, that pressure is there on the fire marshal inspectors to build those relationships up because there's going to be pushback on our fire stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying, you know how hard it is to make a 100% fire safe community and, oh, right? Yeah. We want... Yep. We want, right? We want fire hydrants. We want yep. 
safe buildings and you might as well make them all out of type one construction, yep. but we know that's not going to happen. And so right. it's, it's gotta be aesthetically pleasing, right? Like you just talked about the planters yeah. and, and uh, the trees and then how, how do we mitigate landscaping versus fire safety? Cause it's this dynamic, this back and forth as well. I mean, it's a, it's a balance, right? It, and I push my, right. If I get one of my electeds calls me about something that one of our inspectors are, is on, I try to involve them in the conversation. So they're building up a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I tell my inspectors all the time, there's going to be a time where you get pushed over the edge. I hope you don't, but right. somebody, preferably a, not somebody we, you know, a, a community partner that we work with, but somebody right. that is, they push them. And I, and they, I said, I need to be your first call because I know who my next call is going to be and we can get ahead of it. We can be okay. And mm-hmm. that's where those relationships come in. You know, when, um, there, there's value to when we have them, because then we can continue to keep doing what our mission is. Just look at how complicated, I don't know, in California, but right, we have to update our ordinances from time to time. Mm-hmm. In updating ordinances, I need those relationships because our planners have better yeah. relationships with their electeds than I do. And mm-hmm. whether it's planners, building official, um, water purveyors, whatever it is, it's just always continuing to have those discussions because when we can keep talking, it goes back to that co-development process. That collaboration yep. is big because mm-hmm. we, we can give and take on some things to help them give and take on some things. And many times we're in line. It's just a matter yep. of what pressures. And so yep. um, that's what I would say is, hey, we've got you want to make change in your community. You got to keep talking. And there's no difference when we have to go talk with business owners. Yeah. Um, you know, and how do we build that relationship up? when we need it ahead of time. And so um, I think within our community, that's one aspect. Uh, You want to know the biggest way that we made an impact in our community is our goal is to try to make sure we're putting smoke alarms or check every smoke alarm in every residential unit in our jurisdiction. That is a Mm -hmm. monumental task. We're we're plus 10 years in. We haven't made it yet. Um, We've installed over a hundred thousand devices. Wow. Um, and, but I'll tell you what you want to, if you want to get to your public, you got to go find them at their houses. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we've made great strides. We've saved lives. We've saved property. We've um, been able to do some pretty monumental things. And it's a, it's going to be something that, you know, we're going to keep doing every day and our crews do a wonderful job. Um, mm-hmm. getting on it. But um, I think that's, that has made more change probably in our community and our public interaction is go knock on a door, say, Hey, I'm Mike from the fire department. Can, can we check your smoke alarms? It's, we right. do them around when there's a fire, we do them on special events. Yeah. So really when we probably mash all that up, that's how we've made a pretty big impact on our mm-hmm. community over time. Yeah, I, I think that you, you can kind of boil that all down. Like you just mentioned, relationships. How do you build relationships with not only, you know, all all the stakeholders, internal and, ex, and external, and, yeah. you know, building those relationships because that's going to help go a long way in the overall success and, you know, health of an organization. In February, <clears throat> we'll do our annual soup out. So I try to get as many firefighters and staff to make a soup, chili soup, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not a competition. Mm-hmm. We roll the fire trucks outside and we invite anybody that our staff has relationships with and say, come on over, have some soup. You got to eat lunch. 
Right. And it has been probably one of the coolest things over the years. We'll have fire truck repair people, DOT people or, or road commission style people or community leaders, building occupants, building owners. You know, we can have if we don't make 20 pots of soup, we're not going to have enough. It's cool. So I guess, do you, do you make the soup or does everybody bring a soup? Is it like a potluck almost? No, we make our, so we ask our staff. Now we do get some friends that do want to make a pot and they want to bring it, but Uh it is our firefighters, our inspectors, our admin staff. Yeah. It's, and it's been going on. A chief came to us in the eighties from the city of Detroit and he brought that over as a way of saying thank you to the people that really support us. But um, it is amazing how simple that is just right. We have these beautiful bays, Yeah, yep. pull the fire trucks out. We didn't do it. Yep. We haven't done it for what, two years now. So yeah. we're looking to hopefully knock on wood. We're hopefully going to have in February. And, um, it's just a, it's just, you got to eat. Everybody likes homemade soup. <laughs> yeah, they do. Especially yeah. in Michigan in February, February, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it, it'd be nice and toasty. I'm sure uh, that's all right though. Get everybody together. You got, you can stand on the app bay a little bit and have a little bit of, you know, open discussion and dialogue and enjoy some soup. I think that that's a great idea. We, we do like a pancake breakfast. Um, it, it's through our, uh, Tracy or, or through our firefighters foundation. Um, but I do like the idea of the, you know, at, at least also including maybe anybody that you touch, um, right. And trying to have that open dialogue and, and just continue to build that relationship a little bit more. So, well, chief, I really appreciate it. Um, so before we end, is there anything like last parting words that you want to leave our, uh, ICC region one audience with, uh, as we, as the episode comes to a close? Um, you know, I, over the years, I just, I appreciate all the friendships, um, that I made and all the communications that we do get from region one in co-development. Um, whether it's been FCAC or just proposals we've worked on, I, I, wholeheartedly that region does really good things that have made really substantial changes. And I know I personally professionally appreciate it. Um, I know March I'm looking forward to coming out to uh, CFPI and Mm -hmm. being a part of the program there and and seeing that. So um, I, I, you know, really so grateful for the relationships, but, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for everybody who takes time to listen to this because uh, they're they're the true heroes making a difference every day. And I think sometimes all of us, it's hard to remember right now that the work we're doing today is making a difference. It, it Our inspectors holding people to meet standards, our inspectors catching issues, educating, um, any of those things are making a difference. And it's so hard some days to remember that you're making a difference. Right. And as I dub, right? We're saving future lives. And I'm mm-hmm. just so grateful for people that, that are listening to this, that continue to do that work every day. All right. Thanks, Chief. I really appreciate it. Well, everyone, that brings this episode, unfortunately, to a close. I'm sure I could probably talk to Chief O'Brien probably at least another two hours, but um, you'll probably get tired of listening to me, but I'm sure you'll enjoy more of his his uh, wisdom. But um, thanks to Chief O'Brien for joining us. I really do appreciate it. We hope that this insight and the, the experiences that he shared is really help, will help you long term. As always, thanks for watching or listening, kind of depending where you're, where you're at. Uh, uh, but uh, if you enjoyed the show, please you know, make sure to rate us on Apple or what is it? Apple podcasts, YouTube, all those things. I, you know, we always definitely appreciate that. But, and if you want to be a, a guest in an upcoming episode, I'm always looking for, some, you know, to interview, interview more people. So again, thank you for listening.